Howdy gamers, it's Layton here from Layton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, you get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash late night or not it's really whatever floats your boat. Anyway, episode. This is the the mystery of Zencaster. It has never once been synchronized. Everyone has their own latency. It's like how everyone has a different personality. You know, it's like <laughs> everyone yeah. has their own personal latency. That yeah. is, that explains a lot of people. What makes us all unique in life? You yeah. know what I mean? That's right. I like the idea of of a personal latency. I was talking about this on the show. I just read this Dan Charnas book, Dilla Time, the Jay Dilla oh, biography. Yeah. I've been thinking about latency because the whole like, you know, lilty stilted beats is so crucial to that stuff. Dilla's whole sound is he's not quantized. That's his whole thing. (laughs) Or the case that he's making in this book is he's quantized, but the quantizations are are then shifted, right? Right. Like he's strict, but then he's off by a few. So he, Dan Charnas in the book talks about, much like people talk about microtonality, he talks about micro time. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'd never seen any music discussion of micro time. Well, it all comes from when you're working on these DAWs, you know what I mean? And this is yeah, how yeah. people like Dilla and a lot of the producers didn't learn how to play music in the garage with their friends on Metallica covers. They learned to make beats on an MPC or on a DAW. And then you start digging in and you're like, oh, I could make the grid snapping into 64th notes. Like, And then you're like, oh. So it, it makes sense. That's how you learn to make music. The other amazing thing about Dilla is he wasn't doing it on a DAW initially, right? He was doing it on an MPC. MPC, yeah. So he was just going click, 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 click. I you know, I I mean? know right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so of its time technologically. Mm-hmm. I believe in, like, when you're working on projects to have rules or, yes. like, work within constraints, and it always makes the best shit. And Dilla is, like a prime example of the best shit being made under really tight constraints. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I, I love that. It's something I keep trying to tell myself. Yeah. I mean, you, you know how it goes. Like you're working on something and something goes wrong and the guy doesn't show up or suddenly you don't have the gear you thought you'd have. And I have long endeavored, not always successfully to view those failings as like, Oh no, this is a new constraint to play with. Yeah. Right. That now can strengthen the project rather than, you know, detract from it. I fell in a wormhole just last night about albums that had no symbols on it, right? Oh, shit. That's what I want to do next. I want to make a couple songs with no symbols. <laughs> what are famous albums with no symbols? Adam Ant's King of the Wild Frontier has no symbols. On the whole album? Yeah. And Peter Gabriel's Three, the Melty Face album, with Phil Collins on drums, right. has no symbols. And it creates this, not Adam Ant, but on the Peter Gabriel's case, it creates this very alien sound. Right. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just all gung, 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 and it's, and it's cool. Dude, that's so crazy you say that. 
we just got back from a recording session at Sonic Ranch in Texas. And a friend of our producers, this drummer, Terrence Clark, was there and he was, you know, one of these like Nashville, I think he's originally Memphis guys who's just like, a you know, plays on a million different sessions on all sorts of stuff. And we're making a hip hop album and, he, you know, he's like, I'll just come in and lay down some beats, whatever. And the best one he did, we were trying to think of different constraints for him. And the best one he did was no symbols. Nice. We were like, yeah, just try it without symbols. And we used it on a song, a. which I don't want to say what anything's about yet. Well, I'll say it now. We're going to bleep it. Okay. All right, all right. It's a song about nice. And, you know, we, it's a video game hip hop thing. And all the songs are different games or characters or something. And so, yeah, we have this very Tommy kind of rumbly beat for a song about fucking nice. Nick Cage's favorite video game of all time. I way. didn't know that. Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah. That's oh. <laughs> You know, Brian, yes, Aaron please, played then. me another song that you guys recorded. Yes. Okay. So I, I was going to talk about this later. It's a song idea I had uh, a couple years ago, Chucky, and I'm convinced that it has the potential to be a big, big hit. It's called Eat Ass, Get Money. And after my partner in Ninja Sex Party rejected this idea wholesale because he said, quote, I can't fucking sing that. Uh, I can't see those words coming out of my mouth. Coward. <laughs> you said it, not me. And uh, then he left a day early and the rest of us wrote and recorded it. So <laughs> that's a very Beatlesy move to do. You know I mean? Yeah, it, it, it really, you know, it was like we had this world class studio. We did everything we needed to do. There was just like minor editing and comping and stuff like this. And it was like, now's our chance to write Eat Ass, Get Money. And we did it. The Zoomers are going to love Eat Ass, Get Money. They're all about eating ass. Right. And getting money. And getting money. If I said it wasn't calculated for exactly that crowd, <laughs> I would be lying. This is why I think it has a crossover potential. Of the songs I've written, this is probably the one that is most likely, I think, to actually not get radio play for very, very obvious reasons. But look, if WAP, is that WAP or WAP? What do people say? WAP. The WAP. Okay, great. If that can be a big hit, surely eat, ass, get money can be. The thing is, is it goes so unnecessarily hard. I was so impressed (laughs) with eat, ass, get money, and it got stuck in my head very hard. It's good. This is the thing. Great to hear you rap for the first time, Brian. Have you ever rapped on a track before? Not on a track. I used to do it in in my little like bar band in San Diego. Oh my God. We did a few cool Keith covers that I would, uh, I would do. I'm not a great rapper in case everything about me doesn't just scream that, <laughs> but I would do it occasionally on stage at songs that, that I could pull off. You have a style though. Do I? <laughs> I think it is the perfect style for Brian Wecht and also oh, all of Jim's little sung hooks in that song are so good too. Yeah, I'm very excited. So I don't want to dismiss the idea that this could be a huge hit on TV and radio. <laughs> as well because i was buying flowers the other day at the grove i walked into the grove and got some flowers at the like the fancy flower store yep and the music in there was like ride my cock ride my pussy pussy cock and i'm like oh my god i was like (laughs) scandalized you know what i mean like this is just the music that kids listen to now in the fucking flower store at the grove at the grove i was like do you guys hear what's happening no one cares because i i think people just this is music now you know what i mean i agree what would the clean version title be, Brian? For radio, so let's think about that. 
Yeah, you know what? I, I did have an idea for this because I, w- I was thinking through this. So I did learn, by the way. So we had a recent single out with Ninja Sex Party that got marked explicit because of the word ass. <laughs> I got confirmation from our distributors because I didn't mark it explicit. We sent it out. It got rejected by their content review. And I was like, what is explicit about this? And I had a very nice person on their ticketing system, some customer service person, wrote back, the explicit word is ass. Thank you. I was like, oh, okay. First of all, I apologize for, you know, for making you type that, but also thank you. So we'd have to replace ass in eat ass, get money. So we could say butt, which just makes it sound crazy. I'll do you one better. Not only do you need to have the radio play version, you need to have the kids bot version. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, that is very true. You could bleep it, which I like because it's the most annoying version. I think you should change it to bass, and it could be bass. about a nice oh. seafood fish dish, That's which great. kids love, kids bop. And, you know, so I'm just throwing it out there, spitball. Eat basket money. I like that a lot. Speaking of, of constraints, famously the censored version of Repo Man, right? You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah. With the flip you, you flipping melon farmer. They did very funny overdubs on the, yeah, yeah, very funny. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> th- there's a version of this where we just go that route and go kind of nonsensical with words that are kind of in the spirit of the original. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps, etc. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Leighton, what would you do with this gem? I mean, eat basket money is pretty solid, but I think still a little too close to the racy origin. The thing is, is that there are so many jokes in the song that you guys are very specific about what the song is about. About the thing being eaten, yes. Yes. Well, ponder it. God knows when this fucker is coming out. There's a lot of work to do yet on it. And then there's the whole question of like, what is this band? Which... We'll decide that, you know, I think later. There's a version we go gorillas style and it's like, you know, a bunch of animated characters or something. But honestly, I love that. I don't know. That's great. I think there's potential there. Yeah. I think your character should be a rapping robot. I feel like that would fit. That's pretty close to my personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, everybody, this is Layton Knight with Brian Weck. My name is Brian Weck. Over here we have Layton Gray. That's me. I really like how you're introducing the show, like you're breaking news to like children that their parents are getting a divorce. Also, you're doing it like yeah. it's bad news. Like, oh, sorry, everyone. Look at, <laughs> this is late. Night. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's the general yeah. vibe. Like, my apologies. I am late yes. and gray. Mystery guest. Who are you? Hi, I'm Chalky. I'm, uh, I'm a musician and a tour guide. And um, I'm a fan of you guys. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, we're fans of you, dude. Thank yeah. you. This is, uh, this is so fun and awesome for me. And um, it's an honor to, to hang out with both of you. No, it, it's an honor to have you on. So, Chaka, you and I met when you opened for Planet Booty. Right. The great Planet Booty, who you've been a, a champion of. I firmly believe that of all the artists and acts I've worked with, they should be world famous. They should be yeah. like Lizzo level famous. I'm a huge fan of them as people. I'm a huge fan of their music. They practice a form of radical inclusivity that I find just joyful and fun and engaging. And they do it with great music. So I love everything about them. They're so funky. And yeah, the the radical inclusivity is such a good way to put it. So I was a fan of theirs too. And so that's why I... 
shoehorned myself into any show I could get. <laughs> when I see them playing at a place, I'm like, I, I email the venue. I'm like, let me open. And so the, thank God I did because then I got to meet you and it was uh, now I'm here. So this is good stuff. Well, dude, I, I saw your set there and I loved it. And I Thank was like, you. whoa, this guy fucking rules. And then came up and, and said hi backstage and then found out your keyboard like totally broke or something during that set, which I hadn't even <laughs> noticed. Yeah. Like I thought it was just great. And you were like, oh shit, half my equipment didn't function <laughs> or something during that show. This is just my my lot in life is uh, it wouldn't be a chalky <laughs> show unless there's a complete disaster. You know, I try yeah. to be professional and I, I try to have my shit together and it just never works out. But it keeps me on my toes. You know, it yeah. keeps things punk rock. It keeps things DIY. I always have to on the fly figure stuff out. And um, I just recently, those of you watching the Patreon video, which you should, if Look you're not that. watching it, go, on, go and watch that. that video. Wow. You're wearing a WFMU shirt right now, Brian. And I, I just recently did a live set on the Tom Sharpling Best Show. Yes, and, you did, uh, which I half saw. Half of my equipment just stopped working in the middle of that set. <laughs> so you can see me on the floor plugging shit in and like still singing the songs and getting up and then like plugging shit in and then like playing a bass line and then running down. And, and but it all worked out in the end. I thought it was awesome, dude. Thank really you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you see me on the ground plugging stuff in, that's not part of the show. That was because everything broke. So, yeah. <laughs> and that was on that. How long was that show? That was the 24, was the 24 hour, hour show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were the like the closing act pretty much. I can't right? believe it. So I've been a huge WFMU fan since I've been Same. a kid. And yeah. the best show is a big part of my life. And Tom Sharpling is such a huge influence on, on my sense of comedy and music and everything. So that was a big honor for me to be on that show. I can't believe that happened. That was a good thing. We could talk about best show literally for this whole episode. We're not going to. But that show, I mean, that lineup was bananas. The number of yeah. guests on that 24-hour show. Like, Layton, can I, can I just brag for a second, Layton, tell you who I was in the company of? Yes. Conan O'Brien, Jarvis Cocker, the dude from Red Cross. I mean, the list goes on and on. <laughs> Sudan Archives, I think. Was Sudan Archives. Show, right? oh, yeah, she yeah, was yeah. amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was incredible. So many people showed up for that that I was like, oh, shit. I thought it was great. You talk about the best show a good bit. Um, I'm a big fan of Tom Sharpling from Double Threat, and I have not listened to much WFMU. That's so cool that you know him from Double Threat, though. It's like a whole different yeah. thing. So yeah, it's awesome. But if you had to pitch best show to people at home who have never listened to it, how would you both pitch it? I would say it's a comedy show for music lovers, like record collectors kind of people. The humor gets a little deeper with the inside baseball music jokes. Oh, yeah. Great. But also it, there's a sense of urgency there because it's, it's live and there's live callers. That excites me a lot. You know, I like live yeah. radio. I listen to live calling like bad radio still just because I like the sense of urgency. It's like, yeah. why is SNL better than Mad TV? It's because it's live. They could fuck up, right? And that adds a whole another exciting thing to the listening aspect to it. So I would say that that's another aspect to it that I really like. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great description. And then what I would couple that with is the bits, the Sharpling and Worcester bits, are like nothing anyone else is doing in comedy where they go on for an indeterminate length of time. Could be five minutes, could be an hour and a half, and you just never know what's going to happen. So what I like is this sense of they take these insane left turns constantly and you end up at some place you never thought you would be given where you started. And I think it is kind of a unique thing right now 
And indeed, since, you know, they've been doing it 20 something years or something, I don't think there's anything else quite like it in comedy. And there's also, and I say this as a compliment, they're not trying to be funny for like 75% of those bits. They're just, it's just like a sustained aura of weirdness that I find very compelling. We definitely didn't sell you on this show uh, with no. our description. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the best encapsulation I've heard of it because Brian talks about it a ton, but I have not really known much about it other than I enjoy Tom Sharpling a lot. Yeah, he's a cool dude. FMU is is just such an awesome, unique place. You know, I grew up in North Jersey. I volunteered at FMU when they were in there. The old house, you wow, know, in the, cool. in the 90s. Yeah, because I grew up listening to it. I wasn't next to it, but I was, you know, within, I could get the signal where I was. So I've been listening to FMU ever since I was a kid and got really into Seven Second Delay when they started doing that. You know, the Ken Friedman. Andy and uh, Ken. Andy, Andy and Ken. I mean, within the first year of Seven Second Delay starting, I was listening. And Andy, to this day, is one of my, you know, comedy heroes. Me too. I love Seven Second Delay. I still listen to every episode of that show. And what I love about WFMU is that talk about a thing for music obsessives. They let DJs kind of just do their own thing. It's entirely listener sponsored. So they don't have to worry about ads and anything like that. They'll have a show which is just like weird avant-garde classical and then they'll have another person who's just reggae, reggae schoolroom, or the person who only plays top 40, you know, number one hits. It's all over the map and you never know what you're going to get. And they take real chances there in a way that a lot of places don't. What does WFMU stand for? I don't know. That's a good question. No one knows what call letters stand for, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming the U is Uppsala. So I think it's a W because that's in the call letter. FM. Right. That's just East Coast radio call yep. letter. East Coast radio call letter. FM is like FM. Oh, band. and then there's ah. the, the college it started at. Yeah. So that's what oh. I've always assumed. Look, that's that scientist mind breaking stuff Hell, down like yeah. that. Did you see that Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode was on WFMU this weekend and he was a, he's a no, huge fan. I did not see that. He stopped wow. by the studios and he talked to Evan Funk Davies and he talked oh, about shit. what a fan he is. And he talked about Reggae Schoolroom. He said, oh, it's my favorite show. Isn't that amazing? Oh, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Cool. So you, you grew up not in New Jersey, right? No, I grew up in Los Angeles. And as soon as I could get WFMU on streaming, I did. And it, I was hooked. I was hooked. Because they were pretty early in the streaming game, right? Totally. As soon as I turned it on when I was 15 years old, I discovered tons of music. I remember the first day clicking on that real player. Oh, I used to listen to that real player. Like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and I've just been hooked ever since. And I ended up loving the talk show, Seven Second Delay and, and Best Show. And then later on, Andy gave these kids, like there, he had a, every year he would have a, a Seven Second Delay show where listeners could call in and pitch a show for right. the new season. Of right, right, right. I remember that. And he'd give them some shows sometimes. Yes. And these kids called in and they're like, hey, Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Art Bell's gone. Let us do this one called Night People. And he let them. And it was good. And I, I started producing that show from L.A. when I was. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, shit. Well, just a little bit like booking guests yeah, yeah. and writing segments yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. So that helped me like figure out how to do performance on audio performances and stuff. So oh, I like crazy. you. I, I was such a fan. I wanted to get involved somehow, too. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I know night people. I remember that. Those guys. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. So I've seen you perform, you know, both live and streaming. So I want to hear about, you know, your musical journey. Well, I, I grew up in Los Angeles, Mexican family, 
a lot of gangster cousins and, and uncles. And so I was around that, that culture a lot, which was like lowrider culture. And all those people listen to funk music, you know, Zap yeah, and yeah. Roger, P-Funk, Isley Brothers. And my parents were way into soul music and stuff. And so that music was always around. I grew up, I got more into punk and metal, of course, as a kid does to rebel. But I always, you know, had a deep love of um, funk, soul, ska, reggae. And uh, I moved to the Bay Area and I was there for 15 years in Oakland, San Francisco area. And I play bass and I played in a lot of punk and metal bands because it was easy for me. And it was easy for me to slip into that scene and just play that music and join bands. And I became a reliable bass player. But after about 10 years of doing so, I was like, oh, man, what am I doing? I'm just like doing whatever's easy. You know, I'm not really challenging myself. And I kind of did a lot of self-reflection and, and I asked myself, what did I want to do? When I was in my teens and early 20s, I made little funny records under the name Chalky. I would do remixes and stuff like in the early days of the internet. And it got some attention. Like there was a DJ named Plaster, a producer named Plastic Man, who like played some of my remixes at this huge party in Europe. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but I, you know, it stopped after a while. And I, I was just playing in these metal and, and punk bands and I got too comfortable, I think. So I said, what do I really want to do? What's the music in my heart and my soul? And it really is funk music. That's what I love. That's what my true love in yeah. life is. And um, I gave myself some rules, some constraints. I said, I want to use all hardware. I don't want to have any laptops on stage. I want to have a vocoder voice like Zap and Roger and sing that way. I want to be able to play bass, kind of make bass the lead instrument. And, you know, I want to be an alien. I want to be like P-Funk, Sun Ra. Like when I think about what I love to see on stage, it's like these characters you know, in this world I could fall into. So I said, I want to be like that. So I worked on it and uh, I sat in my room and, and figured out how I can do this thing with this keyboard and how can I get a vocoder? And I'm not good with equipment at all. Like, like I think you've, I've heard you mention this before, Brian, like you just use what you use and we're not like really gearheads in that way. I'm not a gearhead. No, I'd rather think about the music, not the gear. Right. And in my experience, the dudes who always have the most expensive shit always suck. 100%. It's Nam, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, I don't need, you know, that $10,000 keyboard because it's got the best sequence. And I don't mean just dudes. I'm sorry. People of all genders who have the most expensive shit suck. You could just <laughs> suck no matter who you are. Although, <laughs> let, let's be honest, it's mostly ponytail dudes, right? It is. Uh-huh. But I figured out, you know, how to get this keyboard that, you know, and, and I'm not rich, so I had to get everything out on a budget, but I figured it out. And, you know, I've been doing it for about five years now is this solo project Chalky where I wear a cape and I do this funk thing on stage. And I, it's got to be the most artistically fulfilling thing I've ever done. I got to figure out how to make a proper record. So that's what I'm in the, the midst of now. How do I translate this to a, a record? I have an EP out now that this German label put out. And I'm proud of it, but it's not truly what you experience when like you see me live so i'm trying yeah. to figure that out now what's the that's secret hard sauce? to do dude yeah like planet booty too like but they, they manage to do it a lot and so they do but i think planet booty is a good example of their i love their recorded music but there is a magic to the live act that is not there in the recorded music and that's not to say the recorded music isn't great because it is but how you channel that live energy to recording is that's a dark art that I don't really understand. 
especially when my music is me who I make stuff in my bedroom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On a computer, I don't have access to like a great studio with great mics and stuff. So like, there's no way I can make it sound live, but I'm figuring right. it out, figuring it out. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, you do your live act rules. Thank you so much. Like within five seconds, I was like, I'm in. Thank you. It means so much to me coming from you. And I, I oh, thank you. have such admiration for you guys too. So that's huge for me. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, man. I've always gravitated towards that. Like for one of a better term, the vibe of, there's a lot going on here, you know, when, <laughs> yes. when, when you see a performer like that, you're kind of scratching the tip of the iceberg. I like the feeling that there's a mythology that I don't fully understand. I think this also is why the best show is so appealing to me because it's like, you can see little parts of it bubbling up, but to really grok what's happening, it, it feels like you're going to have to dig a little to like, fully get it. And I, I like that feeling. For me, that stuff comes from P-Funk, which is like, totally. what is the P-Funk mythology? I don't know, but it's there. And it's like in every song, there's motifs and themes and there is full liner notes of stories, but like, what is it? You know what I mean? But it's there and I could fall into it for hours and hours and hours and read about it. And so I try to do that stuff. I, I'm a huge horror fan, of course, as dudes my age are and um (laughs) (laughs) so i try to incorporate like monster funk and like i have monsters dancing on stage and stuff when i can and and so thank you for noticing about the world building which is like i don't try to be specific about it It just kind of comes naturally as it does for you guys too i'm sure yeah do you know major entertainer have you ever seen him yeah mike hickey my buddy yeah you guys are buds okay so i've done stuff with him too i I love that guy i was gonna say i assumed you would have a lot in common musically and personally. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, we have a couple shows together coming up this summer. So oh I'm shit, excited! I'm, I'm excited to... for that. Yeah, I was about to say that I think with any sort of world building, there has to still be mystery. Like you see it a lot of times with a lot of like amateur, maybe Reddit.com slash r slash world building people, where they're like, I have to build out every single detail and tell everybody every single detail, and it's like you've killed it. It is dead now because you overexplained it. There needs to be like some degree of mystery that sort of like you get flashes of it, but you don't see the entire thing. I think that is like an important part of the world building magic trick. What's an example of something that doesn't leave any mystery? And I'm going to say maybe like Dune doesn't. Maybe it's just so like black and white. I love Dune, but it is just so like black and white. Like Here's how the world works. There is these Uh people. It doesn't have that one mystery thing. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example of something like that. (laughs) I guess a good example of something that is actively fuck you to anybody trying to get all the answers is like Twin Peaks, but that's an easy choice. Yeah, for sure. But I, I don't like fantasy stuff very much. It's just kind of not my bag, but I feel like that is... One of the most like criminal versions of it where it's like, oh, you're introducing a bunch of words that you are now going to define and everything right. is just very neatly laid out, neatly answered. And I don't want that from media at Tolkien, all. Tolkien like kind of set up that template, right? By just like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to describe everything, right? Well, and I think his estate didn't do him any favors by releasing every fucking scrap of paper he ever wrote shit on as some kind of collected works where, yeah, the guy went so overboard with it that I find it exhausting. And look, I like Lord of the Rings as much as the next guy, but 
I remember trying to read the Silmarillion in high school and just being like, oh my fuck, like, you know, just kill me with this. And I was into it too. I could not get through it. And I know some people really get into that, but I, I, I agree. It's just too much. I mean, it's sort of like everybody is a gearhead about something, even if you were not a gearhead about music gear or whatever. I mainly mean that everybody's a nerd about something, but it's funnier to say that somebody's like a fantasy lore gearhead or something like Everybody needs the thing that is intensely, intricately detailed to park their brain at. But for some people, that's over-explaining every fictional thing. And I think about my therapist one time was saying like, yeah, I don't read a lot of fiction because it's all made up. And as, <laughs> as a writer, I was like, you know what? I cannot help but respect that. I think that's so funny. I'm on that though. same wavelength as your therapist. And like even yeah. scripted TV now is hard for me. It's hard for me to watch a comedy show and not just picture a, a writer's room full of like Twitter people in there. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. yeah, very yeah, true. Totally. But it's not like reality TV is any less scripted. It's just like less Twitter people, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything I consume, I want as few Twitter people as possible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Dude, I, I wanted to circle back to the parliament thing because that was a big one for me growing up too. I remember the first time, you know, he said, Sir knows devoid of funk. I was like, what the, what, what are you talking about? It, it, there's this deep mythology, which was so foreign to me in so many ways. It, it was just endlessly compelling with the amazing musicianship behind it. Right. Parliament really sucked me in as a kid. Cause you have these incredible songs with what the fuck is happening to provide context to, to all of this. Yeah. At first for me, it was impenetrable. And I'll tell you why. I remember me, you know, buying my first P-Funk tape at the warehouse or something. And I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 maybe. And it was the Motor Booty Affair, which is like kind of a later one. Yep. And it starts with this song called Mr. Wiggles the Worm. Yes. And it's like this worm singing in this cartoon <laughs> voice. And the keyboards are all like, it's Bernie Worrell, but he's doing like, cartoon noises and i was like what the f what is this isn't funky what's happening i yes. was expecting like some we want the funk gap band shit right and i put that tape away for a long time and didn't ever think about it again mm -hmm. so i'm like this is weird this is cartoon me it's like it's not for kids it's not for adults i don't know what this is this is weird and i just never thought about it so it took me a while to figure it out as i i kept listening and then you know what helped me was i got into funkadelic more because right. there's they're more guitar rock and roll no mythology yeah, yeah, yeah. just like my baby loves me and i'm gonna fuck her like that's that kind of yes <laughs> and then a 20 minute guitar solo yes yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then parliament you go back to parliament and there's like all the mythology and the crazy and the horns and the cartoon noises and stuff so it took me a second but i knew the singles growing up george clinton was always on tv in the 80s because he was yep. silly looking and he yep. had atomic dog was a big hit so i knew he was like that crazy looking guy but i didn't realize how big parliament was in the seventies and how big of an influence no. they had on music and talking heads connection, this red hot chili peppers connection, just everything. It took me a while. I think I was like, you know, in my mid teens and I'm like, okay, but going to see the show, the all-star P-Funk all-star shows, which they play all the time when I was a kid and you go see them at the street festival, you know, I saw them so many times and seeing anything live helps, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I did, it took me a while to get into parliament and, and figure it out and unlock it and put the puzzle pieces together because it just wasn't around that much 
when I was young. Same. The heyday had passed. It was more like, you know, I got in through Give Up the Funk and that sort of stuff. The hits. Actually, I remember I bought Uncle Jam What's You from the WFMU catalog. Which is another difficult one. That's a weird album. (laughs) It's a weird album. And it's got... A lot of great songs. I think Freak of the Week is on that album, like Uncle Jam, What's You, of course. Yeah, not just Knee Deep takes up the whole side two of that. Yes, it's insane. <laughs> and I remember having this epiphany when I was looking at the cover, like a year after I got the album, and I was like, wait, is that the bop gun? I think he's holding the bop gun. I just had the same revelation that this many years later. So I'm like, oh my God, that's the bop gun next to It's the bop gun. You know, but it took a minute because it was just a lot going on. Also, do you remember the... Uh, the exclamation of funkitation on the back yes. of the album. Yeah. There's liner notes that are book length and, you know, and it's still yes. a weird, mysterious world that they built. I don't even think they know the world they built. They were just going by the seat of their pants too. You know? Well, and, and they were on, you know, as much drugs as they could physically take. So I don't think coherent world building was necessarily, you know, I think they were just doing cool shit. But that's why it's the best world building. It's the best kind because it's just like, what? They're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And now I can name every album, every song. I can name every guy that was in the band from 1959 till now. You know what I mean? (laughs) Now I'm a super gearhead about it, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The closest I ever got to seeing any of those guys live Although that's not true. I saw Maceo a bunch of times doing his own thing, who's a crazy good performer. That was a great show. When I was in college, a little college, Northwestern Massachusetts, they brought Bernie Worrell and Buckethead when they were doing their Praxis thing. You know, I was like, oh my, you know, I'm a keys player. It's like fucking Bernie Worrell. Oh my God, the guy, the guy. And maybe 20 people showed up for the show. And this is before Buckethead was like, Buckethead. You know, he was Buckethead, but it wasn't capital B Buckethead. And they're playing a cafeteria in this tiny college in Northwestern Massachusetts. Oh my God. (laughs) And we're uh, hopefully getting paid very well for it. But there were like 20 people there who were like very into it. And nobody else even gave two shits about these guys. That's amazing. And I just remember being like, you know, five feet from the stage watching Bernie Worrell, like the architect of, you know, keyboard funk, uh, P funk keyboards. And being like, who's that guy with the KFC thing on his head? You know, he's a pretty sick guitarist. Back up for a second. What's a bop gun? Look, can I explain it? Yes, please. Please. All right. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> there is a wave of unfunkiness, Layton, and it's it's taken over the world. It's a big problem. It's a big fucking yeah. problem. Sir Knows Devoid of Funk is the guy who's shooting everyone with this thing called the bop gun, right? And that's D apostrophe Void of Funk. Yeah, he has a long nose. He is not funky. He hates to dance. He hates hates to dance. He really hates it. So if he shoots you with the bop gun, you get the syndrome, the placebo syndrome, which makes you not funky. And it just makes your life a bummer, right? You're unfunky. You got to be funky in life, in this world, through life. The way out of the to cure yourself from the placebo syndrome of unfunkiness is to get hit with the flashlight. Mm-hmm. Flashlight. I don't know if you've heard that song before. It's one of their bigger hits. Yeah. So if you get shot with a bop gun, you got to get shown with the flashlight. Yeah. Thank you. I hope that helps. Can you do the Cerno's voice at all, Chalky? How does how does Cerno's talk? Well, I don't have a harmonizer on me, okay. but I could go. <laughs> My name is Servoid Devoid of Funk. Yeah. 
I don't dance. How about that? Is I don't that okay? dance. I never do. Yeah, great. You do it better than I do. Because I, I have this I kind of nasal voice. Yeah. You know, I, I never dance. Ooh, you that sound good. Like high thing. That is no effects, people. That is no. That's right. That's right. natural. That's just my, na- my natural. Pure uh, nasal canal. Cavities. Yeah. That's Sir Nose. <laughs> Again, there's a lot going on uh, in these P-Funk albums. And they're Jersey I guys too. Parliament, you know, or Plainfield, yeah. New Jersey. Yeah, that's right. And Bootsy and his crew are from Cleveland. Yep. So there's a Cleveland Jersey thing. You don't get funkier than that, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> just for a second to circle back, I just I want to touch on this for a second. Is when that whole shit was going down with Buckethead and Bill Laswell and Bootsy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zillatron, Lord of the Harvest, and Bernie Worrell, and the drummer from Napalm Death, and you know, it's like all these yes. people involved. It was crazy. And uh, being a kid during that time who's into Primus and all that shit and then being to P-Funk and then this guy Bill Laswell is putting all that stuff together. That was mind-blowing. All that stuff was mind-blowing for me when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, Les Claypool was like so clearly influenced by all that stuff. And then you had Les Claypool in there who was playing with all those guys and then he would yep. throw in Tom Waits in the residence. I mean, what a oh, time yeah, for music. Right. What a great time for, <laughs> for weird, For weirdos and weird music, you know? Speaking of weird music, one of the the guys from Barnes and Barnes, a fish head, just died. Yeah, he passed away. Do you know yeah. who the other guy in Barnes and Barnes is? It's Billy Mummy. Billy Mummy, right. Yeah. From Lost in Space. From Lost in Space. And isn't he the kid from the It's a Good Life Twilight Zone episode? Isn't that him also? What's that episode? Remind me. It's the one where the kid has psychic powers. Oh, yeah. It was in the 80s movie, too, is one of the stories. And basically, he's surrounded by these terrified adults who are trying to cater to his every whim because they don't want to get sent to the cornfield. The cornfield, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's Billy Mooby. You're right. Yeah. Leighton and Brian, are you guys familiar with the concept of YBN? Why be normal? No, I am not. Okay. Why be normal is people are labeling me this. They're probably labeling you this. It's not epic bacon. But it's more, they might be giants, ween, yep. barns and barns, residents. This is why be normal. Okay. So this is just like, guys, just being weird to be weird. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, I've been getting labeled YBN lately. <laughs> is this a, a Zoomer thing or this is like an older school thing? This is like a Zoomer thing. Punk music is either egg punk or chain punk. Tell me about this. Okay, so there's two types of punk rock, okay? There's egg punk and chain punk. That's Hold it. on. Can, can I guess? Can I yeah, guess? so I'm just going to give you a band and you have to guess if they're egg punk or chain punk. Okay. Okay. Layton, we, we're both going to weigh in on this. Okay. We're going yeah. to vote. Yeah, both of you. Blink-182, a band that everyone knows. I'm going to say that is egg punk. I'm going to say chain punk. Uh, Brian's right on this one. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, crass. <laughs> chain. Layton, what do you say? I'm just going to be contrarian and say egg. Brian again is right. So yeah, egg punk is more, you know, happy and, and brighter and I chain mm-hmm. punk is more dark and uh, dirtier. That's what I would, I guess. I mean, it's hard to describe, but it's the same thing. These is a Zoomer YBN. They have all these great qualifiers right now. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. Now, Leighton, a- as a Zoomer, surely you, you, <laughs> this is, this is your language. You know all yeah, about it. You know me. I'm always talking about egg punk and chain punk and all <laughs> of the latest. You have that YBN tattoo. Yeah, God, I'm I'm real out of touch with what the Zoomers are into. If this were 20 years ago, this would be the let your freak flag fly thing is why. I guess so. Right? Or like a coexist sticker. That let your freak flag fly thing was all. I mean, is there anything more off putting than 
that statement. Maybe Key Portland Weird might be a little more off-putting. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, the coexist sticker, but instead of like the religious symbols, it's all like nerd shit. I've oh, seen that one yes. so much so often lately. So it's much. like it must yeah. have just gotten sold on Instagram or something because I've been seeing that one everywhere. That feels like so trenchantly early 2010s to me. Yeah. And it's like, I will key your car for that sticker. <laughs> Can you name all the logos on it? Oh, shit. Well, there have been like a million variations of it, too. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to look one up. Oh, there are oh, a lot. This is grim. This is fucking grim. I love a beacon of capitalism. Okay. What do we got? We got Death Star, The One Ring. Maybe a xenomorph? The X from X-Files. The TARDIS. Okay. The Shazam lightning bolt and a, looks like a Star Trek blaster. Actually, I'd like to correct you. That's not the Shazam lightning bolt. That's the Harry <laughs> Potter. And I only Thank know that. You. Oh, that makes much more sense. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> no God. one's into Shazam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of very, wow, this sucks. Uh, <laughs> New segment called Wow, This Sucks. Okay, no, but check this one out. This is really going to blow your mind with how bad this is. The one wow. with the, the, the bat wing is the C? Yes. <laughs> What's the E, though? Like Internet Explorer? Oh, it's... The <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I thought, too. It's the, yeah. <laughs> this one sucks because it's reaching. So hard. The bat wing is the C. Captain on America Shield... Yeah, on the on the side. Captain America shields the O. Green Lantern for some reason is showing an E, which is really <laughs> fucking stupid. Crossed Wolverine claws are the X. You got a Spider-Man web coming out the hand for the I, the Superman S, and then Thor's hammer, Mjolnir for the T, which is It's also <sighs> none of these are aligned. That Superman logo is like morphed weird. Oh yeah, look at this. Like they were trying to fit it into yeah. the space. <laughs> It's Look, going I know that down trick. diagonally. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. If we had to coexist for this show, what symbols would be in our coexist? I feel like the S could be one of the snakes from the Ninja Brian sure. logo. What do, you, what do you call it? Uh, dragons. <sighs> the dragons. Thank you. Snakes. Yes. Got it. The C would be a drippy cummy C, of course. That's a gimme, like the Green Lantern E. You have to like pick an object that's at least C-shaped. Just have a big C and then have it say come really quiet, like there really we go. small Thank next you. to it. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I'm sure we could force a mayo jar with a letter on it into this. The X is the hard one. Yeah, the X is the hard one. I feel like I don't care enough to finish this bit. No, I definitely don't. In fact, we're going to outsource this for everyone listening. Please Please come up with something here. Please make us a late night coexist. Mine would just be all Trader Joe's food items. <laughs> That's all I eat. <laughs> Hold on. I expand on that because yes. I need to hear no. what your favorite Trader Joe's <laughs> items are. Uh, I don't have a favorite. I don't eat it because I like it. I eat it because it's close by and it's cheap. Yeah. I don't know. One would be potato chips in the shape of a C. The cheap mezcal is the I. <laughs> <laughs> One I of those like shitty that. frozen pizzas is the O. Two English cucumbers is the X. There you go. <laughs> Did they dial back on the fucking like Trader Jose's or Trader Giotto's shit? I think so. 
it just reeks of corporate comedy. It's so dumb. Talk about mysterious world building. Trader Joe's <laughs> is a weird company. Why are we on a ship? We're on no a fucking one knows ship about for them. some reasons. Yeah. They're run by like mysterious people and the way they get their products. It's products you can buy in the store, but they relabel them and stuff. Yeah. It's a weird ass company. Have you heard the thing? I'm sure you have because everyone's heard this, but they're required to ask you about something or make a comment about something when you check out. If I could leave a Trader Joe's without them talking about my food I'm buying, then I consider my day <laughs> successful because I hate that shit. Too friendly. Don't even acknowledge what I'm buying. Please. I'm embarrassed. Yes. Anytime <laughs> yes. I go to the grocery store, I dread, I dread going to check out just because it's like, don't perceive me. Yes, please. I know I'm getting a kombucha that's six dollars. Don't yeah. I know it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. like I'm getting a whole box of uncrustables and a box of cosmic brownies. Yes, I eat like a four-year-old. Please, <laughs> please just let me maintain this illusion that I am an adult. Yeah. And not three children in a trench coat. Have you experienced this, Leighton, at Trader Joe's? Do you go at all? Yeah, Brian, okay. I think I was the one who told you that. Oh shit. You you probably were. On yeah. an early, like single digit episode of the show. So you're with me, though. It's like annoying, right? It sucks. It's sweet. I used to be really charmed by it. You know, I haven't been to Trader Joe's since I moved out here. They saw you. They're like, here's a mark right here. We're going to hit him with this. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the parking lot, I it's parking lot too little. I don't want to fuck with it. Always. Worst parking lots in the country. Absolutely. So bad. But back home in North Carolina, we had a Trader Joe's and I was always like, oh my God, they're so nice to me. And then I found <laughs> out that it was corporate mandated niceness. So, Well, yeah. I've been asking a couple of people and they say it's not company policy. Really? really? They said that they've never told me to do that. They I just, just hire assholes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to believe because it's every time. Every it's time. every time. Maybe it's, it's like an unwritten rule, right? You know, like mm. you see a couple people doing it. And your supervisor is not going to write you up for not doing it, but you might be just encouraged to, you know, be a little friendly or something like that. The way to be friendly to me when I'm checking out is to just cone of silence, just mm -hmm. mutual. Actually, I have a very specific silence. problem with Trader Joe's I want to get into right now, <laughs> which is the following. I like tangerine juice. Mm. I prefer it to orange juice. However... The tangerine juice at Trader Joe's, you'll buy it. And roughly 50% of the time, it goes bad immediately. Like you open it up, pour a glass, and then it like insta-ferments. And the next day you try to drink it and it is undrinkably fermented. It happens so consistently with the tangerine juice that I've stopped buying it because it seems to go bad overnight. So this problem isn't just uh, limited to tangerine juice at Trader Joe's. Tell me. Anything you buy in the veggie section will go bad the next day if you don't eat uh -huh. it. Stuff at Trader Joe's goes bad so fast. You have to eat it in the car sometimes. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I did want to ask, actually, before we go into segments, I'm going to talk a little more about Planet Booty because I love talking about Planet Booty. Yeah. Did you discover those guys when you were in Oakland? Oakland, Is that, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that like just by performing on the same kind of circuit or or what? Yeah. Just like I would hear about these Hey, have you heard about this band? Have you heard about this? No, no. What's going on? Oh man, they're from Oakland. What? Oh, they are. Check more out. Whoa, these guys are awesome. Yeah, Ever right. See them live. Oh my god, these guys are amazing. Met them. Oh my god, these guys are the best. You know what I mean? Just like they that really kind are of the best trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny in Oakland. It's small scene, but it's so many different broken up scenes. Nobody in my friend circle knew who they were. So I got all my friends into them. 
people there don't know about them as much as they should. I feel like that's true of people everywhere. Like, yeah. Yep. But they're like, they're from Oakland. Like, I know. That's huge for funk. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. That band, I think I have teared up more watching them than any other band because you know, we've, we've toured with them yeah. and I just remember all these shows. So we, we would often have two openers and they'd be on first because they are, I mean, talk about just bringing up the energy in every room they walk into. It's just Hell like, yeah. they, it's like from zero to 60 like that. And I just remember being, you know, watching them every night from the side of the stage welling up because I'm like, how did I get so lucky to work with these guys, like the best people I know doing this amazing act in this huge, you know, just influx of positivity. Those guys mean so much to me as, as people and as a band. I want them to be superstars. How did you discover them? So Twerp, our backing band and a great band in their own right, was paired with them on one of their tours as an opening act. And they almost did the like you know, Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin kind of thing from the side of the stage to me. They were like, you have to go check out Planet Booty right now, like texting me from watching the show. They were like, these guys are going to become your favorite band. And when tour, they did a tour together and played the Roxy here in LA and I went to see the show and I was like, oh yeah, yep, that's it. And like on the spot, I texted Danny and NSP. I was like, we have a new opening band. Like, these guys are the best fucking thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, that was the connection through Twerp. Awesome. That's so sweet. Chucky, I had a question for you. When you introduced yourself, you said that you're a tour guide. Yes. What do you guide? Okay, so during pandemic, I moved back to L.A. and I didn't have a job. And I needed to make some money. And so I created a tour out here. So I do the Punk Rock Graveyard Tour here in Hollywood, California. If you want to see, it's a walking tour about two hours long of uh, a bunch of punk and goth legends. And I talk about them. And it's a good tour. It's a fun tour. It's at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which they have their official tour there. But it's a lot of like silent film stars and directors and stuff and producers from like the early, early days of film. And yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about that stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, okay. I will probably will never see these people's movies, these silent, mediocre comedies from, you know, the early <laughs> days of film. <laughs> like, I don't care about that yeah. stuff. But that tour is great. Carrie Bible, who does it, she's awesome. It's great and so smart. But I was like, oh my God, there's like the coolest people here from the music world, the rock and roll world, the punk world that I love. And um, so I put together this tour and I keep discovering, I'm in such a dense place, I keep discovering more. And um, here's who took my tour this weekend. If you can see there, there's me and Matt Barry. At Hell the, uh, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Wow. So if it's good enough for Matt Barry, it's good enough for you people with the <laughs> Punk Rock Graveyard Tour on the internet, if you ever want to take that tour. It's fun. It's a fun day in Hollywood. That's so cool. Yeah, and I love it. I just do it on the side because I, I love it. It's fun for me to do. You know what I mean? And you're independent of the cemetery. You just do the tour there or you're part of the yeah. you like work for the cemetery. No, I love them. They're great. Yeah. But I, I work independently of them and um, it's a great place to just hang out. Like it's very it's awesome. open to the public. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I used to do something similar 
my good buddy and bandmate Adam Papagan is a tour guide and he created tours in LA, um, like the OJ tour, uh, where oh, yeah. he drives you around in a white Bronco and the, the Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> <course>. tour. <laughs> uh, there's a Curb Your Enthusiasm tour. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he does that one. He does the Real Housewives tour. And so he, him and I put together a Disneyland tour for this website, Atlas Obscura. They hired us oh, sure. to do this. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was the dark side of Disneyland where we told you like, well, here's where this person died and here's where this person died. That's a great idea. Thank you. And it was, it was a great tour. Like, it was fun. And Disneyland had to let us do it. Because <laughs> it's a slippery slope if they start telling people they can't give tours there. You know what I mean? And they said, look, just as long as you don't interfere with the guests' time who aren't in the tour, you could go for it. So I'm like, right. I'm just going to do guerrilla tours at places. I don't care. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I love it. Yeah. Now I'm cool with the staff. They know me now and it's all good. You know, it's all good now. Is that considered a public place? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I mean it's not owned by the city or anything, but it's open to the public. It's privately owned. I went to a graveyard recently, not Hollywood forever, because a, a older relative of mine died and a Jewish cemetery somewhere near Culver City. And they had this big thing on a hill, you know, like this big column thing. And I was like, what is that? So my, my wife and daughter walk up there and she's like, you are never going to guess whose grave this is. I took a few guesses. Nope. Al Jolson. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That grave is amazing. You know, it's got the whole thing up there. What do they call it? Like the the sweet songbird of Israel yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that's, you know, obviously a monumentally huge star in his day. Absolutely. But not the grave I would have expected. A lot of cool people are buried in Culver City. Tons yeah. of famous people are buried in Culver City. You got a Bella Lugosi there. Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy there. Um, in the cult weirdo underground world, you got Darby Crash is buried there from the Germs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. City. And Sharon Tate is buried there. Oh, wow. right, right, right. Yes, we looked that right up. Right next yeah. to Bella Lugosi. So, yeah. Right. Everyone go to that Culver City Cemetery. It's awesome. It was very cool. All right. So we're going to move on to some segments now. So our first segment, now, Chaka, you know this because you've listened to the show, but our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. Can I go get mine? I'm sorry. I'll be oh, right yeah, 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 yeah. It's very important for me to do the intro with him here. So I'm going to wait to do it. That's respectful. You don't want to waste anybody's time, of course. I'm Dr. Respect. My arch enemy <laughs> is Dr. Disrespect. Thank you. That was a good joke. I know it was. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Sorry. No worries. So our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about a book, a movie, a video game, something you've been enjoying recently that you'd like to recommend to others. This uh, segment is called What's Poppin'? And it does have a theme song, but as always, I don't have the ability to play that theme song, but it does go added in post here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? So now, Chuck, I have to ask you, when you were listening to the show before, did you hear the theme? Yes. What did you think of it? Fantastic. Better than 90% of podcast themes out there. So. Wow. 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 High praise, indeed. High praise, indeed. And he, he actually heard it, too. Most of our guests haven't heard it. They just have to guess yeah. what they would feel like. But mm-hmm. you actually heard it. So thank you. Well, to the future guests, I say, do your fucking research. Oh, yeah. Well, look, you said it, not me. There, there we go. Yeah. Layton, what's popping? 
What's popping for me is I was just watching a lot of Key and Peele sketches on YouTube the other day because every once in a while I just need to watch the Terry sketch for oh. my soul. It's good for me. But mm-hmm. what's popping is I didn't know they have blooper reels. And so if you just go on YouTube and search Key and Peele bloopers, there's only a few of them, but they are as great as you would expect them to be. And some of them are from the Terry sketch. So, Oh, really? There's Terry's bloopers? Uh-oh. There are, yeah. I got to go see Terry's bloopers. It's absolutely delightful. Those guys are so talented and uh, iconic. Just amazing. Malcolm Barrett, always great. Always Truly great doing one of the very best straight men performances in a oh sketch of all time. He's incredible in that. <laughs> did I did I miss something <laughs> is, did, did, is yeah, what yeah, always yeah. gets me. What does he say? That, oh, that's the last thing I want. That, that's the last <laughs> thing I want. So, yeah. So great and everything. Brian, what's popping for you? Well... This has been a big week for me because I have gone from being the sort of person you think would have watched Columbo to being the sort of person that watches Columbo. (laughs) The new one or the original? I'm not even aware that there's a new one. Poker face, you mean? (laughs) Yeah, right. Why have I never, and this is true, you know, given my age and demeanor, you would think I would have seen a lot of episodes of Columbo. However, I have not. And they're all on Peacock. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to start watching Columbo. And five minutes in, I was watching it with Rachel, my wife. Five minutes in, I turned to her and I'm like, this rules. This is exactly (laughs) what I wanted to be. Pilot episode, by the way, directed by Spielberg, which I didn't realize. And written by Stephen Bochco. And it is such an artifact of its time that it reads almost like a parody of a 70s detective show. (laughs) It's just great. Peter Falk rules. Peter Falk is the fucking best. I've never watched Columbo, but he's uh, awesome. Oh my God. He's the most Peter Falk in Columbo. You gotta see. <laughs> uh, Layton, I'm so excited for you to watch Columbo. You're going to love it. I'm, okay. All right. I got to get it. It is train. really great. And so, Rachel, anytime she watches an older show, she plays a game, which is have any of the guest stars dated one of the Golden Girls? On the show, The Golden Girls. And Columbo has a pretty hot track record for guest stars that have been on The Golden Girls and dated The Golden Girls. It's just great. There are some filmmaking, just insane stylistic choices. In the second episode, they do a thing. So a guy murders someone. And then there's a solid two or three minutes close up on his face where in his glasses are playing out the scenes of like how he's going to hide the body. And they've like freeze framed his face and on the lenses of his glasses, these things are playing out and it goes on way too long. It goes on so long that and you can't understand visually what's happening because they're kind of tiny. You're just like, what was going through the mind of this director? But it totally works. I'm so into it. Also, in the pilot episode, Chuck, do you remember Columbo's omelet he makes in the pilot episode? I don't. He goes over to this woman's house. and in- Excuse me, ma'am. Do you have a couple of eggs in a pan? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he makes an omelet the following way. He gets some eggs. He cracks them into a bowl. And then he takes an onion and doesn't chop, but slices it. And then dumps it into the bowl with the eggs, not the pan. (laughs) So he slices an onion, again, not chops, into the bowl with the eggs and then grates some cheese into the bowl. We got to recreate that. 
Well, I looked and there is in fact a recipe online called Columbo's Omelet where someone tried to recreate Columbo's I think there's omelet. a cooking with Columbo book that came out in the 70s, oh like a Columbo cookbook that came out. Amazing. I swear. Brian, I know what I'm getting you for your birthday. Yeah, oh, well, for Hanukkah. The, well, the other thing I didn't realize is all the episodes are like 72 minutes long. They are so long. The show just takes its time in a way only a, a 70s detective show can. It's really great. I love everything about it. And it is, you know, I, I knew this going in. Clearly, Poker Face has ripped off literally everything from Columbo and in an annoying way from the font that they use in the titles. And she always has a cigarillo instead of a cigarette. Cigar. <laughs> That's right. cigar, I mean, cigar. But it's a tribute to the cigar, I think, right? Right. Have either of you seen a, a woman under the influence, the Cassavetes? Oh, of course. I'm a big Cassavetes guy. I love I haven't seen it. He's great. I love him. Oh, Brian, it's prime Peter Falk. It's really great. Oh, I got to see it. It's a thing to be endured. But it's very Peter beautiful. Falk buried in Westwood, by the way. Oh. <laughs> His grave is right across from John Cassavetes. You could go visit them both at the Westwood. That's really? Cool. Yeah. That cemetery is amazing. It's, it's big as a parking lot. But okay, here's some episode highlights. I just, I, I'm so yes, excited please. to be here for the Columbo talk. Yes. Um, <laughs> later, you know, Columbo, they brought him back and canceled and TV movies right. of the weeks for a while. There's a great 90s. They Perry Masoned him. Yes. Yeah. There's a great 90s Columbo where he, he goes to a, a rave. Uh, <laughs> that's really good. Oh, nice. He has to find a murder at a rave. So uh-huh. that's really good. It's the equivalent of uh, Quincy with the punks. Yeah, right. exactly. Yes. I don't know if you got to the John Cassavetes Hollywood Bowl episode yet, though, but it's the best episode. That's my favorite I did not. I, I'm literally on episode two of season one right now. So I've just started watching it. Okay. I think it's season two. Cassavetes, Peter Falk. Columbo, Etude in Black. Amazing oh episode. God. Okay, great. Wow. I might need to hop on this Columbo train. I think you're really going to like it. Watch the Casavetti's one first, maybe, and then watch the Spielberg directed one. Then you're, boom, you're in. You're in. And it's also, it's not like serialized at all, right? It's just straight up case of the week. Oh, yeah. There's no overarching uh, story arc here. Yeah. That's good. I wish more shows were like that now. I hate that everything has to be a big... season arc every single time but it you know it gets formulaic so you know detective colombo is going to figure it out so what's the fun in it the fun is in the guest stars the settings how he's acting playing off of them and stuff you know what i mean you start getting into that shit yeah and in that in that pilot episode the the main bad guy is is jack cassidy father of david and sean who is the ultimate like you know avuncular asshole Practically, you can see the ascot coming from a mile away. Directed by Mr. Fableman himself. That's right. When he was a baby. I mean, that was 1971. Right. As soon as he walked out of that office with David Lynch, he went right to direct the Columbo <laughs> episode. <laughs> you didn't see the Fableman side. <laughs> I watched it. So what was it? Lynch plays John Ford. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited to see that. And if you don't want to see it, you can just go right on YouTube and see that scene, which we did last night after the Oscars when my friends and I'm like, have you guys seen the the Lynch scene? No, it's already on YouTube. The end of a movie that's not even out yet. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Chucky, what is popping? Okay. Um, My friend Sean Carnage came over a little while back and he brought me a book and I know he wasn't just regifting this book because it was wrapped in plastic, mm-hmm. like straight from the factory. So I was like, Oh, thank you. He's like, I just read this. So I'm getting you a copy. He didn't want to give me his copy. He got me my own copy. So I'm uh, very excited. So I've been, I'm this far deep into this book called 
Hawkwind, Days of the Underground, Radical Ooh. Escapism in the Age of Paranoia by Joe Whoa. Banks. What is it? It's like a day-by-day account of the band Hawkwind, how they started, and just like, it's very linear, which I love, because like, fiction's all made up. Here's what they were doing then, this, this, this. So for those of you who don't know, we're this super-duper psychedelic band in the 70s out of England. Lemmy from Motorhead was in Hawkwind right. before Motorhead. And talk about world building. They had they had a narrator a on thing. stage uh, who were talking <laughs> about their spaceship and the planet they're from. And their music was made to like take you to outer space. And it really did. Yeah. <laughs> and um, their space music. So I'm fully ensconced in the world of Hawkwind right now. So much so. I'm just a, I'm a Hawk Lord. I'm just listening to their records nonstop. And this book is very good. So I recommend this book. Hawkwind, Days of the Underground, Radical Escapism in the Age of Paranoia by Joe Banks. Is it a fictional version of Hawkwind or it's no, like no, no, an no, actual? No, 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 no. This is this is very straight ahead. Here's who was in the band at the, on this day. Here's what they went. Here's where they went to go play a show. Here's what the critics gotcha. said. It was, okay. it's, just, it's very linear, very factual. You know, there's a lot of talk of the crazy space world they built. Right, right, of right. Naked women and fire and spaceships. But um, it's all real. <laughs> it's it's very biographical, but it's just like awesome. it's extensive, it's detailed. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's good. So um, get into Hawkwind, people, and this book's really good. If you had to recommend cool. one song to get people into Hawkwind, what would you say? I want to say uh, "Silver Machine" because that's the big hit, that's the big single. It encapsulates in probably two minutes and thirty seconds what they're about. So I'll say "Silver Machine," but they awesome. get way more out than that. They made a music video for it. And they had this six foot four woman on stage, Stasia, who would dance naked and she would dance in like crazy paint. And they, she's in the video and you could really see like, whoa, these guys are doing something kind of out there. And they're still around. God bless Hawkwood. Wow. Awesome. I love that. Now it is time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. And the theme song will go after I say the name of the segment, which is Peaches and Lemons. So the theme song goes right there. Amazing. As usual, theme song. Perfect. Nothing wrong with it. No, that's a good one. And we will each start with a lemon, which is a minor bummer, annoyance, what have you. I will go first. My lemon is daylight savings fuckery. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Time's fake. Time is literally fake. Don't do this to me. That's my lemon. Yeah, it's it's stupid. Can we please just move past it and not do this every year. Why do we do it? Farmers, blah, 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 I guess. (laughs) Now just inertia. But the fact that it's not, and I understand why it's not, worldwide that every, not even country does it. There's different parts of this country that do it differently. It's like Indianapolis never goes on daylight savings time or something like that. And it's just not consistent. I hate it. If we're going to do something stupid, can we please do it consistently stupid? Yes. I'm glad that it's not going to be dark at like 5 p.m. now, but we don't have to do this whole rigmarole every time. Let's just always keep it like this one, this way, where it gets darker later. I like this one better. Sure. I just want to pick one. I don't even really care which one. I like getting darker earlier personally, but I don't even care which one. (laughs) See, this is where the Great War happens then. That's exactly right. Once we decide on which one to keep. As a, as a depressed person, it getting darker earlier in the day is not good for my brain. Me neither. That's why I'm at it five. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like my day's over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who else has lemon? 
my lemon is so I got back from uh, this lovely recording session uh, at Sonic Ranch and immediately got sick as fuck. And I don't know what it was. I don't think it was COVID. At least COVID tests were negative, but I've been mildly laid out for the last week where I I just I hate being sick. I know no one likes being sick. I really fucking hate it. I can't turn off effectively. So I think I'm at the tail end of it now. Do you think you got what Aaron had? I think so, because it's like sinus, kind of sore throat stuff. Yeah. So something was going around between us and the other. It's like five bands there at the same time, and people are coming in from all over the world, and the stuff just goes around. You're all eating meals together. And so I was in the studio with Aaron, who was sick, and who the fuck knows what it is, some sinus infection or something. So anyway, that's my lemon. Mildly sick for the last week, but I've been night quilling up every night, and- should be done soon. That's a luxury. That is a luxury. It definitely is. The timing worked out well because I didn't have to get up early to take my kid to school and and stuff like that because I at least had a weekend to recover. So that was nice. Yep. That's it. Chalky, do you have a lemon? My lemon this week is this place here called the Magic Castle. Um, Do you guys know what the Magic Castle is? I I have been, yes. Yeah, it's this place here. It's up on a hill. It's a goddamn castle and it's exclusive to special people and only special people could get in and my ass can't get in and F that. That's BS. They should let me in. They should let everybody in. What the fuck? You have to know somebody who knows somebody. I want to say F exclusive clubs in general (laughs) and magic is kind of stupid too. So I know you're always going to pick my card. So (laughs) that's what I want to (laughs) say. I'm just mad. I like magic. I'm just mad at that castle right now. I have to drive by it every day and I'm like, oh, I can't go there to get a drink tonight. You know what I mean? More like magic assholes. Wow. (laughs) You know what? I'll share my magic castle. Well, uh, whatever. Oh, you're going to show up? (laughs) No, I, I went, I went once because I had a friend that was performing there and I ran into a guy I knew who look, the story isn't going to be good. Basically, the guy was a total dick to me and that's the end of the story. I have a similar story. I went there once and guess who was there? Joe Bob Briggs. And I was like, oh, Oh, shit. You showed me so many movies when I was a kid and then, you know, and he was like, leave me alone, dude. Leave me alone. I'm like, Oh, really? Oh, no. (laughs) I love him too. I fanboyed out yeah. maybe too much, which I tend to do. Uh, I do that. But he rule. I, I've been a Joe Bob fan forever. That's a bummer to hear. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for Peaches, where we will each share three things that are cool, good, that we're happy about, or that are going to happen. I will go first. My first peach is just milkshakes as a concept. I have a great appreciation for milkshakes. <sighs> do each of you have a favorite kind of milkshake? Yes. I guess. I've never been a milkshake person, but I have been lately, like the last week. So this is amazing that you're peaching this because when I was a kid, never, 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 for some reason this week, I've been craving milkshakes. So I've been going to In-N-Out and getting a small Neapolitan, which is all three of them. Right there. That is my go-to milkshake as well. And it's been so good. And I have gained like seven pounds this week just doing milkshake, eating milkshakes. This is why I don't eat many milkshakes, but I'm going to just have a milkshake the Neapolitan is our go-to uh, in, in and out I do like just a straight-up strawberry milkshake. That's my favorite. I feel like I'm with you on that, Brian, but it has to be a place that is doing actual strawberry. If it's Correct. artificial strawberry, it's not good. But if it's real strawberry, it's like the greatest thing in the world. That's right. I, I would say a close second is a, a cookies and cream milkshake, which Same. is also really good. 
Yeah. Also, special mention goes to back home at Cookout, the fast food chain. Their whole deal is that they have like 50 milkshakes, Mm -hmm. but the very best one is they do an Oreo cheesecake milkshake where Mm. they serve cheesecake at Cookout. And so they will put an entire slice of cheesecake in that Oreo milkshake and it's fucking amazing. I've always wanted to go to Cookout. Always. I've never been. Oh, I miss it so much. Do you two recognize a distinction between a milkshake and a malted? Yes. Yeah. Taste-wise, okay. I don't exactly know what malt is, but I know what it tastes like. It's like a fermented thing. Yeah. A great way to piss off my Midwestern wife is to be like, oh, milkshake's <laughs> malted. It's the same thing. She will become <laughs> irate. It is that time of year where shamrock shakes are back at McDonald's. How do you guys feel about shamrock shakes? I've Not never had one. It's mint, right? Yes, it's mint. Green. I don't like mint ice cream. I love mint ice cream. I'm not too keen on mint shakes, I don't think. Okay, so, and also McDonald's is bad strawberry shake then, in in your opinion? Yeah, Yeah, I'd I'd have to agree with that. Are you a shamrock shake fan? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) No, I don't crave them. When it's shamrock shake season, I don't like make a beeline for McDonald's. Like, like, but (laughs) I won't throw it out of bed, you know? Yeah. All right, Layton, uh, great. keep peaching. My second peach is that we are looking at a really great TV season for content. We're getting oh, yes. season four of Barry, yeah, season four of Succession, season yeah. three of I Think You Should Leave. Yes. I'm yes. so excited. I'm just going to be spoiled, just content rich. I am sad that season four for both Barry and Succession are the last seasons, but I mm-hmm. intensely respect the choice to end on a high note. So yes, very excited. And then my third peach is that on Friday and Saturday, hung out with Aaron and Susie. We've been watching Aaron play Silent Hill, The Room, which is very entertaining. And then we all went to Alamo Draft House to see the new Scream, which was predictably terrible, but I had a great time and I had a strawberry milkshake and yeah. some fried pickles and I shared a churro popcorn with Susie. I just love Alamo Draft House, even if the movie sucks. It's a good time. Exactly. It's like pizza. Yeah. Yeah. It's still kind of (laughs) good. So yeah, those are my peaches. I love it. Chucky, you want to go? All right. I've been doing a new podcast with my friend, Bob Calhoun, who's an author, a true crime author, but this is a movie podcast because he's so smart. You know, I said earlier that I don't know much about old movies. My movie education kind of starts at like Night of the Living Dead, 1965. You know, I know some of the class Citizen Kane and stuff, but I'm not a big noir person. Westerns are kind of a blind spot for me. So I told him we were smoking weed one day and I said, man, I love old stony movies, like weird stuff, like old stuff. You should tell me about some of the older movies. Yeah. And I said, we should do a podcast about it. So we are. It's called like old movies for young stoners. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) And so we have a couple episodes out right now. Old movies for young stoners. Look it up. But like some old movies that knocked me out recently have been um, Cleo 5 to 7. I've never seen that before. The Red Shoes I never saw. Oh, so good. The Red Shoes I've never seen before. He had me watch a Fellini movie called Juliet of the Spirits. Knocked me out. Anyway, Uh, old movies, Sony movies are really cool. That's one bright thing. I just booked my birthday show. Nice. My birthday's in May. So I'm getting ahead of it early. And for my birthday present. I didn't want to just play a regular chalky show. So um, I said, I kind of want to play the Weezer Blue album. 
And so, but I, I can't just do it by, <laughs> by myself. So, and I can't, I just don't want to be like four dudes up there playing the Weezer Blue album. So I put together this concept. It's stupid. It's not good, but it's the Blue Man Group are playing the Blue Album. So uh-huh. I've been rehearsing. It's called the Blue Album Man Group, and uh, it will be playing Cor- Corbin Bowl in May. Look for that. Sh- and I've been Fantastic. practicing. These, I've been practicing this band with my old buddies, my friends. So it's fun, and it's been really fun. But if you ever wanted to see the Blue Man Group play Weezer's Blue Album, that's happening. And then I just want to say congratulations to Hollywood on your biggest night. Uh, it was the Oscars <laughs> recently, and all the winners. I'm really happy for you. So there's three peaches for you. Great! Wow, I love that. I love it. All right, Brian. Yes, peaches. number one peach. Rachel started a new job today. I won't say exactly what it is, but she's very excited about it. And it's at a cool place and always exciting to start a new chapter. And so I'm very happy for her. And I think it's going to be fun. Peach number two. So on this recording session, I just came back from, we were in these incredibly awesome, you know, studios with great speakers, which means I got to listen to some of my favorite albums on like the most unbelievable sound system you can imagine. And it's, 95% 95% of what I listened to was Al Jarreau because I could Ooh. not love Al Jarreau more. So I listened to Breaking Away and Jarreau and just a bunch of different stuff. And to hear those like dialed in productions, I mean, it's smooth jazz adjacent, but it's like these adult contemporary vocal albums with it's like Steve Gadd and Al Jarreau and like these total monsters in this, this like crystal clear production on this amazing sound system. There's nothing better. So it's really exciting to, you know, get in a little earlier than we were going to start working, put them up on the computer and blast them through the big speakers. And what a way to start your morning. No better way than by listening to Morning by Al Jarreau. Oh, so. that song. Woo, knocks no, me out. And that video, that video is a... <laughs> I haven't seen this since I've been a little kid, but isn't it him like talking to a, like a cartoon bird, like zippy yep. doodah kind of stuff? <laughs> it, it, it's him in a cartoon world and the animation style is very like Fat Albert style. Right. And, yeah. you know, there's like a little kid dancing and there's birds and he's green screened into this animated wonderland. It's such a weird artifact of its time. And he is, and I say this with love, Aldro is maybe the least cool person ever. And by virtue of that is the most cool person ever, you know, with his like polo shirts and, you know, he's always looking right at the camera. Pastel sweaters, man. Pastel, pastel yeah, everything. (laughs) Can you do an Aldro impression? I bet you could. Oh, no, I I can't. I, 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 I can't sing like that. Like, just uh, can you know what? Am I brave enough to try it? No, I am not. Valid. Have you ever seen his Take Five live? Yes, it's the greatest thing ever. It is the greatest thing. I think it has. I think it's like viral. I think it's like sixty million hits or something. Oh, really? It's incredible. I mean, he's so precise with his vocals, and he has that intro where he's he's kind of does that like stutter thing, and then starts a rhythm. With it. I mean, he really is a master vocalist, and. I could not be a bigger fan. And also that cover to the Juro album, which is just his face way too big. It takes up the entire LP sleeve. Looks like the King Crimson album cover. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> what a choice to make. I mean, it's not even like his head. It's like this part of his face. Like you don't even see the top of his head. It's right here. Oh, it's so great. Another great video of his. I think you would enjoy it quite a lot. 
both of you is a rooftop garden. Roof garden. Roof garden. That one. Yeah. He goes, everybody want to go up on the roof garden. Yeah. He says, yeah. Everybody uh, like, want to go up in the garden. I told you I'd get him to do it. Like I it. <laughs> yes. You got it. I'm sorry. You know, you did trick me into it, but it was a yes. trap I happily walked into. That video is the greatest thing in the world, except I do have one quibble with that video, which is they replaced George Duke the keyboard player in the song with some rando white guy no. in the video. He must've been on tour. He must've been on tour or something, but it's like one of the greatest keyboard players of all time, right? Absolutely. George fucking Duke. And it's some, I don't even know who the guy is, but to replace George Duke with some like seventies white guy or whatever, I was just like, come on, what are we doing? <laughs> like that, it's sacrilege, but Algero is great in that. And my favorite part about that video is the extreme close-up on guys' dicks in like yeah. spandex. Yeah. There is straight up package all over that video. <laughs> it's bananas. And I remember it was literal bananas. I remember yeah. when I was a kid, that was just normal. That was just like, oh, this is just a normal music video. Guys' yes. dicks in spandex are just what's on TV all the time. All like, the time. There's that one uh, scene with uh, John Travolta. Is it staying alive where he's like in the workout scene and he's just, or it's, I think that's uh, perfect. Perfect. Right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Where he's just like humping the air. Yeah. Like that shit was just normal back then. What the fuck? That's what people wore. Yeah. And I was like, you know, <laughs> it's so weird because you, you know, you think of it as maybe a more puritanical time, which it was in many ways. But yeah, spandex was so omnipresent. There's just junk everywhere. <laughs> it's, Unsupported junk. Unsupported junk. My final peach was going to be that we did finally write Eat, Ask, Get Money. But I talked about that. So instead, here's my final peach. So when we were flying into to El Paso, uh, it had been a mildly bumpy plane ride. And we're about half an hour out. Now, I, I hate turbulence on planes. I know it's not that bad, but it scares me irrationally. The captain gets on the thing and he goes, we're going to ask our, our flight attendants to take our seats now. We've heard reports of the worst kind of turbulence, severe turbulence, and it could come at any time and strike without warning. So everybody sit down. And my heart starts beating a mile a minute in my chest because I'm just terrified. And then we got, we landed in El Paso with nary a single bump. It was just a smooth flight down. Wow. wow. And I was terrified the entire time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Knowing that it would have been fine. We would have landed just fine. But still, it was that thing where I kept waiting. We've all been on planes where like suddenly it's, you know, something comes out of the blue. It was totally fine. And I was thankful for that. So that's my final peach. Nice. That's good. I get the thing where there's a tiny bit of turbulence and in my head, final destination is just yeah. fully <laughs> yep. playing in my head. Yeah. Yep. But you know, I've heard we're going to ask the flight attendants to take their seats because it might get a little bumpy. I've never heard the captain say the worst form of turbulence <laughs> is coming up, which is like, oh, why would you do that to people? Well, it makes them look like ace pilots because they, That's right. you know, they were so good that you didn't hit any turbulence. That's right. Chucky, thank you so much for being here today. This was. Super fucking awesome, man. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I had a great time. Thank you both so much. This was awesome and allowing me to come hang out with you for a while. It was, it was a huge highlight for me. So thanks so much. Yeah, this was super fun. 
yeah, I feel like we all have so much in common, so much of the same, you know, things we enjoy and loves and stuff like that. So it's just great to to bond with someone else like that. And we didn't even talk about horror movies, which I, I was holding myself back because I did not want to monopolize our time here. It just means you have to come back sometime. Next time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, shit, shit. We should mention, Chucky, that you and I are playing a show together. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we have to say this. On May 30th, we are both opening up for Rich O'Coin, a past guest on this show. Wow. That's at the Moroccan Lounge Thank in Los you, Angeles. Yes. On May 30th, me, Brian, Rich. It's going to be an amazing show. Good. That's be a, so great. one of my favorite rooms in LA. I love it. Yep. Cheap, strong drinks. Yep. Uh, good sound. Good people. Good crew. It's awesome there. I love it. So I'm, I've never played there before. I've always wanted to. So this is huge for me. Yeah. Have you ever seen Rich's show? Yeah, I'm super excited. I can't believe that uh, he's even talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he rule. He's such a sweet guy. Cool. Uh, and he, he puts on a great show. So anyone who's in the LA area, come out to see that. Nice. And Chalky, if people want to check out your stuff online or go on one of your tours, remind them where they can find you. Yeah, just Chalky Funk Wizard on Instagram and all the socials, Chalky Funk Wizard. But there's my link tree there to my band camp and the tours and everything uh, you want to do. But uh, yeah, come see a show. Look at this. Here's here's the Chalky promise. Okay. If you DM me and say you heard me on this show, you get on the guest list, okay? What? Any show. Any show you want. So there you go. That's awesome. Damn. Cool. All right. Well, that brings us to the very end of this show, which we're just trying out some new some new stuff for closing the show because I am famously so good at it that I feel like mm-hmm. I need to give other people a chance to to shine and, and wrap it up in a really concise manner. They're never going to be as concise and as on point as I am never. in wrapping up the show and ending it cleanly. But I just wanted to open the floor. If anybody has any parting words or advice or curses or anything. Well, I have something. Yes. It's a question that I want to ask everybody listening, which is why be normal? Indeed. Goodbye. That's it. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com.